For as long as we have lived, for as long as we have known, love has carried us. You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis West in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at genesiscove.org. Enjoy the teaching. Good morning. This morning's scripture reading is from the Gospel of John, book 10. Did you turn the page? The wind turned the page? All right. Book 10, uh, 22 to 30. At that time, the festival of the dedication took place. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portion of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I have told you, and you do not believe. The words that I do in my the works that I do in my Father's name testify to me, but you do not believe, because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else, and no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Rajan Brown. So the question of the morning from the text from the Jewish religious leaders to Jesus is simply this, if you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. So I guess that's a question, sort of a uh, begging for an answer. And all four lectionary passages this week, if you read them, the one in Acts, the one in Revelation, and the one in the Psalms, uh, deal with how God loves and cares for desperate people who have no one else to help them and who are being oppressed. That's every single one of the lectionary readings. Uh, In Revelation, uh, we read about the many tribes and languages who, who have experienced suffering, hunger, and weeping that have been delivered by God. In the book of the Acts, we read about the, the widows, the most vulnerable, some of the most vulnerable people in the first century uh, who are mourning the passing of Dorcas, their leader. And Peter shows God's mercy by raising Dorcas from the dead. And so we see over and over again who God is and what God does through the lectionary texts. So this question, if you're the Messiah, tell us plainly, um, First of all, what is the purpose of a question? That's an all-play question. All plays are designed to hear the voice of the chorus, not just the solo. What is the purpose of a question? Thanks, Pam, elder candidate, to gather information. (laughs) I'm in that kind of mood today, so we'll just see where we all get to by 3 or 4 o'clock today. It can be a test, thanks Shannon, to facilitate thinking and examining, thanks Amber. It could be a trap, who who said that? Yes, Jason. Yeah, Jenny? 
Ooh, a question is there to reveal what we don't know. Ooh, Nick, we'll get to that in about 10 minutes to prompt a better question. Uh, what else? So good. To teach. Yeah, thanks, Matt. To satisfy curiosity. Yes. Or to incite our curiosity. Thanks, Joe. Um, so what kind of question do you think this one is? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Say it again, Kristen. Is it a question? I think it's a, I mean, let's define it because they're, they're asking him who he is. Are you the Messiah? And if you are, tell us plainly that you are. Thanks, Barb. Expecting truth. Tell us the truth. Tell us plainly. That's a fair question. Okay, Becca. Sounds like they want things wrapped up neatly in a box with a bow. Oh. Right. Sally's talking about the, sort of the method of rabbinical teaching is one riddle after another. And maybe they're just like, I'm not here for it anymore. Just tell us plainly, please. Okay, Will, kind of sounds like they want the information for ammunition. They want the knowledge, but not the experience. Okay, thanks, Jenny. Ooh, thanks. Now we're talking. Sounds like a challenge. Hmm. Okay, Bob? <laughs> Please quit testing us for the love of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, so it, it could be all of those things. And when it says the Jewish religious leaders, you know, they're not speaking with one voice. No one speaks with one voice, right, as a group. But it is a question, and how Jesus answers it reveals a little bit about the kind of question that it is. And um, there's one way of interpreting it that I think is perhaps, based on how Jesus answers it, the most closest interpretation of what they were trying to ask. I think they were saying, essentially, uh, do you or do you not fit our criteria for messiahship? because we, we have a biblical criteria for it, what you will be and what you won't be, who you will be and who you won't be, what you will do and what you won't do. I think that's a pretty fair um, interpretation. So, but how Jesus answers it <laughs> reveals that he wants a better question. So when I was in college, uh, my senior seminar, I majored in sociology and psychology. My senior seminar class for sociology, uh, the first day, our professor said, there will be no papers and no tests. Your entire grade will be based on your class participation on the readings, right? Uh, so some of you, that would be a dream. For me, it was a dream. Uh, some of you, that would be a nightmare, but one of the books that we read was Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. 
And I don't remember loving the book, to be quite honest, but there's this idea in the book that when you're given a question that you, someone is forcing you to give a dualistic answer. It's either this or that, and you don't want to give a dualistic answer because your answer is much more expansive. There's a Japanese word, there's two letters, M-U, mu, that you can say, and it's a way of, it's roughly translated, please unask your question <laughs> and ask me a better one. Please unask the question. So that's, I mean, that's, that can go for years at family, uh, you know, holidays, dinners, and stuff. Uh, so, because I, I don't, you know, is it wrong to want Jesus to clarify who he is? I don't think that's wrong. I just think Jesus is going to say how you'll know who I am is not based on the criteria you want me to use. So like in John 10, 10, just a few verses before this portion, uh, we read, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come that they might have life and have it abundantly. I have come that they might have uncommonly good life. That's how that's translated. That's what Jesus says. So he, he says, there is a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I'm not, I don't use that strategy, whatever the strategy of the thief is. And that could be Satan, for sure. It could also be any system that steals, kills, and destroys people on the basis of who they are, what their gender is, what their nationality is. So... Um, I was listening to a podcast this week from a guy named Rabbi Nahum Ward-Lev, and he was talking about who prophets are, and Jesus was a prophet for sure. And he said prophets were people who were so imbued with God's love for creation that anything that limited the flourishing of life, of people and life itself, was intolerable to them. What looks so solid and so substantial, the system, if it is obstructing the flourishing of people and life itself, the prophets always said it will come down, that system. And it always did, and it always does. Prophets imagined a different future. So Jesus was the kind of prophet that did speak in riddles <laughs> and parables. But the way he answers the question is, I think, so compelling. He says this, I have told you who I am, but you did not believe. And to that, there would be this big like, no, you haven't. And then he says, the works that I do in my father's name testify to me. So he's saying, what I do says who I am. No matter what I say, no matter what you say about me, what I do shows who I am. But you don't believe because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, abundant life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. 
What my Father has given me is greater than all these, and no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand, because the Father and I are one. Now that's a riddle in and of itself, but he's saying that what you've seen me do is who I am, and because I and the Father are one, it's who the Father is. Now what did, this is an awfully question, even in just the book of John, if you think about John 1 through 9, Bible nerds out there, what did Jesus do? What were the things that he did? He healed a blind man on the Sabbath in John chapter 9, the chapter right before this, which prompted the religious leaders to get so incensed that they did an all-out investigation against him. And the guy who Jesus healed didn't even know who he was the whole time. And Jesus, even throughout the whole investigation, he's nowhere to be found. He's not going to stand in front of, you know, people and try to prove who he is. He's out doing stuff. He made quite a bit of wedding wine at one point. He talked to a Samaritan woman at the well at one point, and a whole village of Samaritans came to believe in the way of Jesus. Associated with the tax collector. In fact, he has a tax collector and a zealot as one of his core 12. Now, those would have been sworn enemies of each other. Like, you would not build a cabinet <laughs> if you were president based on two people that hated each other. Abraham Lincoln actually did back in the day. There's a book about that. It's sort of fascinating, but typically that's not your strategy. So... Um, Jesus compares and contrasts the way of the thief and his way. And the way of the thief is basically monologue. You need us. Think about, even as you, Dan Cook preached a great sermon about the adversary's voice and what the adversary says to you a few months ago, that it's always accusing, right? The voice of the empire, the thief, the Satan, is the accusation that you are not enough and that essentially you need it in order to, to, to survive. It's, it's a monologue. It speaks to you. But if you think about God and creation, it started with a conversation. Let there be light. And there was light in the garden, talking back and forth between the people when God shows up to Moses to ask him to lead his people out of Egypt, it's a conversation. It's not a monologue. So the way of Jesus is the way of one long liberation journey towards a more conscious, loving relationship between God and people and between people and people and between ourselves and ourselves. And that's the way that Jesus is trying to explain. So in a sense, he's saying like, well, does that fit your, your criteria for messiahship? Because if it does, then yeah. But if you read the very next verse, which is not, Rajan, uh, it's not in the election of this week. It said, the, the leaders took up stones again to stone him. <laughs> so you can imagine they didn't love that. And, and, and he said, I have shown you many good works from the Father, for which of these many good works are you going to stone me? And this is what, how they respond. It's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you believe the wrong thing. 
you believe you're one with the Father, and we know you're not. I don't care how many good works you do. And that's why Jesus makes the bold claim. It really sounds punitive, but you're not of my sheep. So, if you're the Messiah, tell us plainly, what would a better question be? Ooh, will you let us down? That's a great question. I love that question. What sort of kingdom are you building? Love that question. Say it again, Bob. Mm. Will you really love me no matter what I do? Can you help me understand? Kara, why are you doing what you're doing? I brought up Moses a few seconds ago. Uh, Exodus 3.13. Moses has been doing, he's been a shepherd for 40 years after being the prince of Egypt, and he's been living in the wilderness. He is so depressed that he calls his son Gershom, which essentially means, I hate life. Uh, he says he's a foreigner and <laughs> direct, yeah. Um, and, and then one day, after 40 years of being a shepherd, not, of not, it wasn't even his sheep that he was the shepherd of. It was his father's in-law's sheep. So it's very, it's no honor. But he comes upon a bush that's burning but doesn't burn up. And that starts a conversation with who knows who. And this who-knows-who asks him to go back to Egypt where he came from and kill the guy, by the way, and lead who-knows-who's people out of Egypt, about a million of them. Now, Egypt is the most resourced planet, or planet, probably felt like a planet, uh, country on planet Earth at the time. So you've got to break in there, uh, liberate the slaves, and the economy would collapse if that happened because it was based on the backs of slavery. And it's interesting because um, they have a really long conversation back and forth. If you read it in Exodus chapter 3, it's really fascinating. And it finally ends with Moses asking a really good question. So good that God turns out that whoever it is turns out to be God. But Moses said to God finally, if I do come to the Israelites, this is Exodus 3.13, if I do come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So Moses wants to know who this is, who's setting him out on this hero's journey. And in the ancient Near East, your name was said to hold a certain kind of secret about you, that as you revealed it to someone else, it, it, it gave away some of your power even. And so to ask someone their name, very bold and even cheeky, nevertheless, Moses does it. 
and God answers. Aye, asher, aye. I will be what I will be. That's God's answer. Now, here's a question. When we know God's name, do we know God fully? John? No. We can come to know God intimately, but we'll never know God fully. But God revealing this, I will be what I will be, is this way of saying, I am always unfolding to you, and that will either drive you crazy or make you fall in love with me. Your choice. Moses was said by God to be the most humble man on planet Earth, so I think he chose to love. The question, what structures, what ways of thinking, what ideologies are stealing and killing and destroying people these days, limiting the flourishing of human life? I don't even want you to answer. But just as you think about it, what structures, ways of thinking, ideologies are stealing and killing and destroying people, limiting the flourishing of human life right now? What sounds like a monologue? And let me say this. um, Sometimes I sound like a monologue here. And whenever I sound like a monologue, you should say, moo. And man, lately I've had some great conversations with people who essentially have said that to me. And, oh, it's actually really liberating to sit in a room and disagree at first and then leave feeling like, oh, we understand each other more now. If God is, is God interested in people who narrowly obey commandments, or is God interested in the flourishing of all of life? Does God want blind obedience, or does God want heartfelt devotion? That's not an all-play question. That's more of a rhetorical question. (laughs) I apologize. But when Jesus says, you'll know me by what I do, we can take him at his word. And as we seek to follow Jesus imperfectly in our ordinary lives, let's be known by what we do, even more than what we say we believe. What we say we believe is important, but it just kind of leads to back and forth and dualistic arguments. We've been in a partnership with an organization called the Um, the Global Immersion Project for the last three years, and they have a framework they call the Peacemaking Framework. It's based on four words. See, immerse, contend, and restore. And I think this framework is actually a great way to move into conversation with people that you might not agree with or learning about things that you think are systems that oppress. So see is about seeing the humanity, dignity, and image of God in everyone. Seeing the humanity, dignity, and image of God in everyone. That's step number one. You can't demonize, even though it's really easy to do. 
immerse, move toward conflict with tools to heal rather than to win. So that means you have to get off Twitter. Dang it. Nervous laughter. Mostly for myself. Contend. Contend not by getting even, but by getting creative in love. Hard to do. Restore. Share tables with former enemies and celebrate the big and small ways God is restoring our broken world. That's a pretty good framework. Not perfect. But as we seek to see that which we don't know, to immerse ourselves in their stories, to contend with love, to restore through sharing tables, I think we're going to be doing the, the, the ways of Jesus more and more without even really knowing it. Amen? Amen.